I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Thanks for joining me for another episode of The Andy Rowe Show. On this episode, you're going to hear from UFO expert Nick Pope, who was on the inside with the UK Ministry of Defence for 20 years. You're going to notice that Nick never speculates but he does provide us with facts and evidence on the three highest profile incidents involving military and police witnesses in the UK and US. Nick is going to give you a first-hand insider view into how the US and UK governments approach and deal with UFO phenomena. I hope you enjoy the episode. Joining me today is a man who spent 20 years working for the United Kingdom's Ministry of Defence and was responsible for the investigating of UFO phenomena. Nick Pope, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It's great to be on the show. How did you get into that? How did you get into that line of work? Well, I fell into it almost by accident. I had no prior interest in UFOs, no particular knowledge or beliefs on the subject. But my father had been very senior in the Ministry of Defense. And I don't want to make this sound nepotistic. I mean, it, it isn't. I had to go through all the proper application processes and there was no favoritism. But I always knew that, like my father, I had been attracted to the idea of government service, working for one's country as opposed to a corporation. So I applied to join the Ministry of Defense. I was accepted. And as is the case with everyone there, you get posted to a different position every few years. And in 1991, it was just a case of right place, right time. The vacancy for the UFO job came available just at the time that I was due for a move. And I slotted into that and the rest is history. When people listen to this, um, straight away, the word UFO is going to throw some people off. It's, going to, it's obviously a lot of skeptics out there. And a lot of people will say, oh, it's just another UFO nut. Like that's, that's the reality of what people will say, won't they? How do we sort of describe to people exactly what you did when you were working in that official capacity with the United Kingdom's government? Well, first of all, you're absolutely right. The, the, the pop culture baggage associated with the term UFO is is quite a thing. It, it uh, needs some workarounds. And we had a workaround. And our workaround was just changing the language. So in our internal policy discussions, we didn't use the phrase UFO. We used UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. And so we reframed the debate not as a science fiction mystery, but, but as a science problem and a defense and national security issue. And that's the way we saw it. If there was something in our airspace we wanted to know what it was. Were we dealing with something like Soviet aircraft uh, probing at our defenses to see how good our radar system was? Were we looking at unmanned aerial vehicles, drones, or was it something else? So we went into all of this with an open mind, no preconceived notions of what we were dealing with, no skeptic or believer mindset. We just went in and said that 
if there's something in our airspace, we need to figure out what it is. Do you think that there have been things in our airspace that have come from a different planet? I'm open-minded on it. Those of us who've looked at this from within government, we are not so certain about it. And we're not afraid to say from time to time, we don't know. I want to run through a couple of high-profile UFO cases from the UK and find out what you know about them and what your thoughts are on them. In the southeast or east of England, not far from Ipswich, is a place called Rendlesham Forest. What happened there in 1980? Well, we've just had the 40th anniversary of this amazing incident, or should I say series of incidents, because in fact, over um, three consecutive nights, there were sightings involving the twin military bases of Bentwaters and Woodbridge. Now, these were United States Air Force bases on British soil. And on the first night, some of the security police there saw strange lights in the forest. And uh, at first, they thought maybe an aircraft had crashed and started fire or something like that. So they went out and they found not a crashed aircraft, but a, a landed craft of some sort in a small clearing in the forest. And this thing just sat there for a while before taking off vertically and clearing the treetops and flying away at high speed. There were sightings on a second night. And then on the third night, the UFO came back and the witnesses included the deputy base commander, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Holt. And then in the investigation into all this, when they looked at the landing site where this thing had come down on the first night, they found indentations in the hard ground, burn marks on the sides of some of the trees, and most interestingly, high levels of radioactivity, um, particularly on three indentations where this thing had apparently landed on some sort of tripod-like device. I know it sounds like War of the Worlds, but this is all all real and people don't have to take my word for it. The government file on this has been declassified and sent to the National Archives. Wow. So something definitely happened there that's, that's not disputed and, and what they just don't know what it was. Correct, yes. And in addition, there was some radar evidence. A number of different radar operators have come forward, gone on the record. And again, there are some documents. Um, two of the radar operators said that this thing traveled at a speed of several thousand miles an hour and then just absolutely stopped dead over the base. And then they said they literally saw this thing. They got their eyes on it uh, from the control tower, from, from the radar tower. And they, they described they described a very bright lit object and they didn't want to be you know too dramatic about it, but they said it's almost like it had portholes around the side of it. I mean, really bizarre. Is there any other explanation that, or what's the closest explanation that you can give to it to sort of say that it is, was from our planet? Was there, any, was there any other possibility of what it could have been? Well, I think that, I mean, there are various different theories. And, and of course, some people say, yeah, absolutely, it was aliens or time travelers from the future. And some skeptics say it was satellites, meteors, um, practical jokes. Uh, beam from the local lighthouse. The theory goes on. I, I think of all the possible alternative theories to extraterrestrials that would hold any water at all, the only one that stands up is some form of secret prototype drone. 
Yeah, I mean, even that's a stretch. I know there are things flying in our airspace that you won't see at the big air shows for, for maybe 15 years or something like that. But, I mean, so it is a stretch suggesting that this sort of object with the sorts of speeds and maneuvers and acceleration reported was operating in 1980. Then we go just north of Birmingham to a place called Cosford in 1993. What, what happened there? Well, that was a bizarre series of incidents over a period of about six hours on uh, late on the 30th early hours of 31st of march 1993 and people saw a huge triangular shaped craft mostly silent uh, lights at the three edges of the triangle and and a fainter light in the middle and one person said this thing was so huge at first um, they didn't really know what was going on. It was like the stars were going out one by one until he realized that there was just something huge and silent and black uh, directly overhead moving across the, the sky and, as I say, blocking out the light from the stars as it, as it moved across. Quite a lot of the witnesses were police and military on, on patrol and guard duty and things like that, because a lot of the sightings were quite late at night. And then two Air Force bases, Cosford, which is where the incident gets its generic name from, and, and Shawbury, were directly overflown by this thing. And I remember speaking to one of the Air Force officers, uh, interviewing him the day after, and his voice was still shaking with emotion as he described this huge triangular shaped craft, he said, moving at a speed of maybe 30, 40 miles an hour, 200 feet above the ground, low frequency humming sound that he said he could feel reverberating through his body, very unpleasant. Um, narrow beam of light, like a laser firing down at, at the ground, tracking backwards and forwards. And then he said, suddenly the light beam retracted and this thing accelerated away to the horizon in an instant. And I said, well, you know, can you quantify that in some sort of way? And he said, well, I've been in the Air Force eight years. I've never seen anything like this. Imagine a fast jet and then imagine something orders of magnitude above and beyond that. Could it not just be the Russians? Wouldn't we have just thought it's Cold War stuff? It's the Russians. Yeah, that was always our thought with this. Uh, always our concern, and certainly the Ministry of Defense's UFO program has its roots in the Cold War, absolutely. But, of course, then it turns around, uh, one discovers that the, the Russians have their program too, and the Chinese. Most, most nations have looked at this over the years, have either had programs or still have active programs. And Generally speaking, this is an area that I probably can't get too far into, but through intelligent sources, one usually has a fairly good idea of what's out there in terms of hardware, whether it's our own or whether it's uh, hardware belonging to an adversary. Right. So what you're telling me is you, the, the things that these people were describing, if you are in a government capacity, you've got an idea of whether it could be one of your own advanced airships or drones or a bit of technology, whatever kit it is, or whether or not it could be a Russian um, testing some of their technology. And you're able to rule that out to an extent, judging on what you've been told by these people. Generally speaking, yes. Never absolutely, because with all these classified programs, of course, they're deeply 
compartmentalized, highly classified, and even within our own military, and even with the big defense corporations, if one asks the question, well, was this one of ours? You won't necessarily be read into a specific program and told we have a drone codenamed whatever it is that is capable of this speed and this acceleration and this is its operational ceiling in terms of height but you you will generally speaking get a sort of nod and a wink and a no need to look into that you, you know we know about that and yeah the same with Russia and China you know there's a very interesting situation going on and we can probably get into this in, in the United States now where I now live um, there've been a series of UFO sightings involving the US Navy jets have chased these things the Pentagon has released some videos Marco Rubio acting chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee gave a very interesting interview about this a couple of months ago and he said I would rather we were dealing with extraterrestrials because if these objects are Russian or Chinese they've made a quantum leap breakthrough in technology that's left us standing wow can you tell me more about uh that is that the silver cube one there's been a series of encounters between ufos and the u.s military since we know at least 2004 in 2004 there was something called the tic tac incident involving the uss nimitz the aircraft carrier and some of the F-18 Super Hornet pilots saw this white oval-shaped craft and they chased it. And the Pentagon have released videos of this. You can hear the pilots on some of these incidents. The three videos and the authenticity is not disputed. The uh, US Department of Defense released these officially. Pentagon put them on the website and said, this is real. And they said, these objects, whatever they are, are characterized still as unidentified. So we know, we know that these incidents have been happening. The US Navy describes it as a series of ongoing incursions into restricted military airspace. We know that they issued uh, instructions to their pilots telling them what to do if they encounter these things, but they refused to say what those instructions specifically said because that's still classified. We, we have not just people driving down a lonely country road late at night and saying they saw a UFO, but we have these Navy pilots seeing these things and filming them. We have official statements from the Pentagon. We have these committees within the United States Congress talking about this quite seriously and saying, yeah, we've had classified briefings, but I can't say any more than that. Yeah, because there's something as recently as 2018, wasn't there? Because that was that with that... Am I right in saying there was a leaked photo from the Pentagon task force showing that silver cube that I mentioned earlier, earlier that was hovering over the Atlantic at 35,000 feet? All these stories are interconnected. There have been some leaked remarks from people either working on or familiar with the work of the UAP task force. We know that they have produced two interim intelligence assessments on the phenomenon, which have certainly not ruled out the extraterrestrial hypothesis. But there have been, there's been talk of some photos, uh, people taking photos from the cockpit. There's been talk of a triangular shaped craft. 
and there's been talk of a sphere within a cube. And uh, all of this is, is very mysterious. Now, there's one leaked photo that came out a couple of weeks ago. To be honest, not very impressive. And to me, I'm always suspicious because there was a media, new media outlet called The Debrief, specializing in defense and intelligence stories. And they had a lot of good information about this. They ran a story which was really getting some traction amongst defense and intelligence personnel, um, media, mainstream media specializing in those areas. Then the very next day, they ran a follow-up story and they, they printed a photo. And to be perfectly honest, it actually wasn't that spectacular. And a lot of people said, well, it looks awfully like a, you know, one of these kind of party balloons. And when you looked at it, it did. And, but to me, as someone with a background in this, I, I smelled a rat because the outcome was that the second story effectively killed interest in the first one. And the first, as I say, was, was really getting some traction. So anytime you delve into anything to do with military intelligence, these sorts of things happen. Right. So they, so the, so the military, like, leak something out to to kill the first story to make it look not really impressive and not much of a story i can't prove that but with my old hat on i i that's exactly the sort of little dirty trick that i suspect got pulled did you used to do that when you were in the uk (laughs) well i don't think i'd better comment on that but we certainly had our way it was traditionally i mean it's been british government policy since the 50s to downplay the true extent of our interest and involvement in this. So, for example, we've we've you know, consistently told the media and the public that we don't really investigate in any great detail. We glance at the reports to to see if there's anything of defence interest. And when the media get onto us about this through the press office, we deliberately had them use phrases like "flying saucer" and "little green men." Just, just to kind of make the whole thing sound like a joke. Right. And if we didn't, if we didn't manage to kill the story, we certainly managed to, most times, make it so that the story, if if it did come out, was written in those sorts of terms, and and people would look away, and and that's exactly what we wanted. Where all the time behind closed doors as has now been revealed by some of the material coming out under Freedom of Information Act, all the time behind closed doors, rather more was going on than we were admitting. But it, it was ironic. We were constantly having to downplay the, the role of our own job. Was there ever an incident uh, where you provided a report and they said, yeah, that's that's legit, that's come from outer space? Or was there ever an incident where, where, where that actually happened, where, where your report, I don't want to say was it taken seriously, but you know, was it escalated up the chain? Yes. On several occasions where we had a sufficiently interesting report, it would go up the chain of command to, uh, for example, people like the assistant chief of the air staff, who, who I think sat at the time as a two or three star military officer, um, certainly to defense ministers, to Secretary of State, Under Secretary of State for Defense, and various other senior people, whether they're politicians, uh, military, intelligence, civil service, whoever it was. 
Absolutely. Now, we never said this is extraterrestrial because that would have been a firm intelligence assessment that we did not have the data to support. But neither did we rule it out. So in some of our documents, we actually said, no, we cannot rule out this possibility. And, and occasionally you got hints of this from some of the documents that have now been declassified and released. Uh, you'll, you'll find, for example, one saying, um, I can't rule out the extraterrestrial possibility. And the document finished up by saying, we could use this technology if it exists. And there's another assessment where, and it sounds, it sounds almost comical, but it wasn't, it was deadly serious. Somebody was running through the options and said in the absence of overt hostility, if this is extraterrestrial, it looks like either A, military reconnaissance, B, scientific exploration, or C, and this is the one that always gets a laugh, tourism. But we were putting this, we were putting this quite openly into, albeit fairly highly classified documents, but we were putting it down on paper, perhaps unwisely, as, as something that would come back to haunt us. But I think within the Ministry of Defense, among those of us who looked at this, there, there were always factions. And you could talk about there being a, a sort of skeptic versus believer debate about this in society we had those same debates in the ministry of defense was there ever an incident like where you say went up the chain went all the way to the top and something was done precautions were done there was defense put in place in case another one came down and you could i don't know shoot it down there were never any it was anything put in place to prepare for extraterrestrials or a ufo coming back again well there isn't there isn't anything that you would call an alien invasion war plan or something like this. And, and in a sense, and again, we're getting into areas where I have to you know, be careful with how I phrase it, because even though I've left the Ministry of Defense, the Official Secrets Act, of course, is binding for life. But let me just make, say as a general comment, for example, our radar systems are very much config, configured for a conventional threat. In other words, aircraft coming into the United Kingdom air defense region from you know, predominantly the northern and eastern directions. And our radar systems conversely are not configured, for example, for something coming straight down from directly above. So just in terms of the coverage that one has, when, when you say put something in place, you can only really use the existing resources and capabilities that you have. And unfortunately, they're not really configured for the situation that we're facing with the UFO phenomenon. Was there an incident where uh, in down in Devon that you were involved in? There were some very interesting sightings in Devon as part of that 1993 wave of sightings that I mentioned. Always something had bothered me about them and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And it was only a couple of days afterwards that I realized that the date on which this had happened, 30th and 31st of March, 1993, was three years to the very night after a very famous wave of sightings over Belgium, where the Belgium Air Force had 
scrambled F-16 fighters to try and intercept a huge UFO that had penetrated Belgian airspace. So did that mean anything that two of the biggest waves of UFO sightings in recent years had happened on the same day of the year, but three years apart? I don't know. But again, as an analyst, I was taught not to believe in coincidences. So um, it probably meant something. What it meant, we weren't quite sure. So you got no idea what it could have meant? Have you got any any theories of your own? I, yes, I had one one theory, and my my theory was that this was this was really before the the internet, and really only just at the beginning of what you might call the twenty four seven media cycle. So my theory was that UFO sightings happening very late on the thirtieth and all through to the early as hours of the thirty first would be too late to get in the paper on 31st of March. So if a story ran in the media, it was likely to run on the 1st of April. And I think a UFO story running on April Fool's Day is less likely to attract serious attention. People will think it's the spoof story. So it's the one night of the year, perhaps, where you could get away with operating something and not worry too much if it makes a big splash. That, that was my theory for what it was worth. So you reckon maybe the the extraterrestrials knew about April Fool's Day? Is that the is well, that part if, of the theory? If it's extraterrestrials. Right. And I'm not saying it is, but but look, if it is, Got you. clearly it it would illustrate that they have un, some understanding, not just of our air defense systems, but of our culture. Do you think there's other forms of life on Earth at the moment? I'm skeptical of that. I certainly think that that there will be other life in the universe. And I think the body of scientific opinion is beginning to come around. I actually has come around to that. I, mean, I saw a study earlier this year that said well, life might be much more rare than we think. And it came out with this figure uh, that might be 36 intelligent civilizations in our Milky Way galaxy. And it doesn't sound very many, but I mean, in, in one sense, two civilizations, us plus one, fundamentally rewrites everything we know. But, but setting that aside, 36 civilizations in our galaxy, where there are anywhere between 100 million and, and 400 million stars or, or whatever it is, sorry, million million, um, doesn't sound much until you extrapolate and realize that 36 intelligent civilizations in our galaxy means there are likely um, 72 trillion civilizations in the universe. Wow. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of civilizations. So at least one of those has probably got the, got the means to do a little bit of tourism on Earth, don't they? Yes, and that's interesting because... And we haven't really discussed this, but three years ago, just a little over three years ago now, the New York Times broke the story that despite the denial, the United States had a program called ATIP, which stood for Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, and that they looked at UFOs. And this was quite extraordinary. And then the Defense Intelligence Agency wrote to Congress and said, okay, the you know, you've asked us about this story. You've 
read in the New York Times, this is what we did under this ATIP program. And they sent Congress a list of 38 scientific and technical studies that had been done. And it was all about deep space travel. I mean, other things too. I mean, literally like anti-gravity, invisibility, warp drive, wormholes, things like that. And it seemed to me that what ATIP was doing, it, it, unlike the program that we had at the Ministry of Defense, it was coming at the UFO phenomenon from the other perspective and saying, if this is extraterrestrial, how are they getting here? What technologies would they use? And can we understand and perhaps replicate any of these technologies ourselves? So it was basically a whole bunch of advanced theoretical physics. And they tried to spin this, still they tried to spin this as being about Russia and China. So this is part of the government? Yes. And they, they said, um, yeah, the implication was it's about Russia and China aircraft, missiles, drones. And they kept using this phrase, advanced aerospace threats. And even as I say, the, the program itself was called Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. But the, the giveaway was in this letter to Congress because out of these 38 papers, zero had anything to do with Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, aircraft, missiles, drones, satellites. As I say, it was all about deep space travel. And one of the papers was about the Drake equation. And the Drake equation is a, a sort of theoretical construct, a thought experiment. And its only purpose is to calculate the number of communicable civilizations in the galaxy. Well, if this is about Russia and China, you wouldn't be studying the Drake equation. Mm. So self-evidently, this was about the extraterrestrial hypothesis. So you're convinced that the United States government is looking into threats from outer space? I'm convinced that a faction within the US government certainly thought that the UFO phenomenon might be extraterrestrial, viewed it as we viewed it in the MOD, as the ultimate low probability, high impact event mm. and thought we need to be in this game. And low probability, high impact is, is absolutely the way to view this, even if you are extremely skeptical about it. The societal consequences, if any of this turns out to be true, are so immense that everything will have to be rewritten and redone. It will fundamentally change every aspect of our lives, politics, religion, science, technology, economics, the military, philosophy, everything. One of the people who has spoken out on this and, and one or two others, as I say, former Senate majority leader, Harry Reid. But yeah, the, these people are not necessarily the majority view anymore. And indeed a faction within the Pentagon pushed back against this and I, this this may sound bizarre but it seems to be true not not least because i came across similar things in the uk there was some pushback to this because a small faction thought yeah we, we don't rule out the fact that the ufo phenomenon is real but if it is maybe it's demonic and and uh, to me that 
it takes the debate down a, a whole different uh, road. And uh, there is, there is a, a passage in the Bible, in the book of Ephesians, that refers to Satan as being the prince of the power of the air. And because of that one passage, and maybe some other bits too, but specifically that bit, as I say, this small faction within government convinced themselves that this might be demonic and therefore you should not interact with it because you don't want to ever interact with it and give it energy. Is there a reason why the government is protecting this information um, or a reason why the government, do you think, in your opinion, why they're protective over a lot of the information that they've got? Is it to protect us? Is it so that we, is it so that, you know, humans don't freak out? We're not ready for this information yet? I think there are three possibilities. The first is that they're worried about panic. That's interesting because humanity would be ready for a simple acknowledgement that there's an extraterrestrial reality. You don't scare people by telling them something they already believe or that a large proportion of people in society, around around about 50% at least, are absolutely convinced that this is real. So there isn't going to be panic in the streets just because you say extraterrestrials mm. exist. So if that's the reason, there must be something more than that, some truth about the extraterrestrial presence that is so terrible it could not be told. And people have speculated you know, it, that it's something like simulation theory, that we are simply a, a computer program that, that they've constructed and that all humanity is and all the universe is, is a very advanced computer program and we're not really real or sentient at all. So that's, or, or if we're sentient, we're just sentient in this, this sort of matrix-like holographic projection that we call reality. So, but but it could be it could be going back to the old Twilight Zone episode. We we could be a sort of galactic zoo or a prison or a farm. Yeah. You know, so it's it's not going to be just there are aliens out there because people would be yeah great so what. Mm. Um, so that that's possibility number one. Possibility number two is that government reluctance to talk about this is simply due to the embarrassment factor. You don't ever want to say there's something in our airspace and we don't know what it is. It makes you look weak. And and governments, of course, exist by projecting power and authority. That's the second reason. But I, I think the third is far more likely. And the third reason for government secrecy on UFOs is technology acquisition. The nation on Earth that first figures out how all this works and acquires extraterrestrial technology, if that's what we're dealing with, is going to be the dominant force on this planet for the foreseeable future. So I think that's the reason. Imagine it as a new space race where the United States, Russia, China, a few others are sitting at a table playing a game of poker. Well, the one thing, I'm not an expert on card games, but the one thing I know is you don't show the other players your hand mm. and and so when people say well don't the american people have a right to know of course the problem is that 
in a free, open and democratic society. The moment you tell the American people, you're also telling Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, everyone. For me, I think the, the third option is much more likely because the first option makes me a little bit nervous about my browsing history on my laptop. <laughs> there, there's an American guy. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, you probably have Bob Laser, who he, he claimed that he was hired to reverse engineer alien aircraft. So basically he's saying he was working on alien aircraft that were in the possession of the United States and finding out how they worked by deconstructing them and reconstructing them. What, what, what's your thoughts on that? Do you know about that? Yes, I, I think I met him once. I don't think there's any doubt that he did for some time work as a contractor at the infamous Area 51 facility in the state of Nevada in the US, where at, we absolutely know that various secret aircraft and drones have been developed and test flown going right back to the U-2 and the SR-71 Blackbird. So um, certainly lots of, lots of secret technologies have been developed and tested at Area 51. Now, whether the claim that this is where crashed UFOs are taken is true or not, I don't know. But Bob Lazar has, has spoken about this. As I say, I think there's some fairly good evidence he did work there as a contractor. But as for all his other claims that he worked on trying to back engineer extraterrestrial spacecraft, um, as they say in the intelligence analyst community, interesting if true, but I can't, I, I don't have any information that would validate those claims. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You, you've spoken, I know you've spoken to a lot of um, military people that, you know, had interactions with um, UFOs. You, you've, haven't you spoken to some like, RAF pilots that, were, that, that saw some UFOs in, in, in the UK? Is that true? I've probably spoken over the years to dozens of RAF pilots who've seen these things. Very few of them on the record. I remember one time going to a training course. So it's something, nothing to do with UFOs. I, I think it was just leadership training or something. Anyway, I was on this course. And of course, as you always do, you get chatting to people over tea and biscuits. And I got chatting to this, this wing commander. And he said something like, oh, you've got the UFO job. He said, well, I tell you, I, I had a sighting once. And he told me about this this thing and uh i said oh i tell you what i said um i shouldn't but uh, there's no harm in it i'll um i'll uh next day when we come in i'll i'll go to my office first and i'll dig your report 
out of the file and uh, you know it'll be a nice little blast from the past for you and he looked a little sheepish and looked down at his shoes and uh, I said why and he said I didn't make a report and I said but it's mandatory <laughs> he said I I didn't want to be known as flying saucer Fred for the rest of my air force career right. and that was that that was the dynamic you always found that's the thing if we go back to the start of the interview where you know you you talk about UFO nuts and, and and people have that opinion of people as soon as they say they saw a UFO going back to pop pop culture and that must have been the same for people in the RAF or any air force if they saw something unless someone else saw it you don't want to be going back and saying um that you saw a flying saucer do you because it's going to just impact your credibility Absolutely. I remember one case where um, half a squadron of RAF pilots, tornadoes, I think, were coming back from from one of the German bases, and they were coming back to the UK, and they were, as they put it, they were overtaken by a UFO. Well, they they sent one very brief signal, where I think the only thing they could possibly think of, they they said uh, overtaken. You know, possible stealth fighter question mark. But um, again, we we looked into this and it didn't really hold water. But uh, you know, so from from an entire half squadron of fast jets having an encounter, you got literally just one sheet of paper, a signal coming through, and that was we were lucky with that that they made a report at all, and they probably only made it because because there were so many of them, so they had a little bit of mutual reinforcement mm. but but most times the RAF pilots that I talked to just like the the commercial airline pilots I talked to they felt that it wouldn't be very career enhancing at the best they would probably get a lot of ribbing from their colleagues mm. at the worst they might get grounded for psychological evaluation or something I had a senior British Airways captain uh, tell me about two encounters that he'd had, extraordinary encounters, and, and never, never made an official report. And certainly with the commercial airlines, the policy was, you know, do, do not, do not, we don't want to hear about this. Because they, they felt that the public might lose confidence in, in the pilots. Not me. I'd rather, I'd rather be flying with a pilot who was, keeping good enough watch uh, that that they saw anything strange but um and maybe the situation's changed now now we've got as i say these these us navy jets chasing ufo's now we've got the films from the pentagon um now we've got the senate intelligence committee the armed services committee looking at this president going on the record certainly with heavy hints, <laughs> you know, maybe the situation's changed, but back in the day, back when I was doing this, no, uh, don't speak about it. You know, just keep quiet. Have you had any involvement in alien abductions? Very little. Uh, you, you can't run a UFO project without finding yourself the focal point for anything weird within government. We were literally named or nicknamed rather the real the real life x-files office so so anything strange was sent to us and we did get we did get reports you know people sent reports and photos of crop circles to us 
wanted us to come out and investigate. We did get some alien abduction kind of reports sent to us. Not that many. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of members of the public, of course, think the Ministry of Defense already knows about all this and think we're covering it up. So so to the sorts of people having these experiences, we're the we're the villains. Mm. So or involved, if not directly, certainly with a degree of complicity. So we didn't get many reports. I mean, if people are reluctant to report a UFO, you can imagine how much more reluctant they are to report alien abduction. And there's much less hard, physical, tangible evidence. I mean, with the UFO sightings, like I say, we've got some pretty good photos and videos, including forward-looking infrared cameras from the military jets themselves. We've got radar data. We've got some Mazint uh, measurement and signature intelligence data. We've got, you know, but with the abduction stories, frankly, you've not really got anything more than the story itself. So yes, we we got some reports, but not many. Because there's been some stories in the US where different people have had the same experiences. Have you come across anything where you where you couldn't quite any stories that you know of where you couldn't quite explain the coincidences or is there anything that you pricked your interest a little bit and thought, oh, that could, the only thing that could be is an alien abduction or anything close to it? Well, I think any analyst doing this work within government will try and look for the common factors. They'll look for the little details, sometimes that you just get when you're interviewing someone as a throwaway remark that you file away under W for weird maybe, and and they stick in your mind and then somebody else quite independently comes up with with someone, uh, something that, and, and you know, there, there, are, there are broad similarities that one gets. So for example, the idea of this low frequency humming sound that fe- people find quite unpleasant, that's, that you can feel as well as hear. Rather like if you go to a, rock concert and you're standing close to the speakers and you can feel the bass reverberating through your body, that kind of thing. So that was an example of something that I'd heard it in the literature earlier than this, but when I was doing this job in in the early and mid nineties, we began to get quite independently some reports mentioning this sort of phenomenon. Another example, actually kind of contradicting what I said a few moments ago, but on the whole alien abduction thing, there was an attempt to say people people often came up with sketches of things that they said they'd seen when they were taken. And one of the things that quite a few people sketched was what looked like strange symbols. And there for a while there was a I think there was a database of those sorts of symbols to see if they would come up again independently. And if they had have done, that would have been something quite interesting. What what kind of symbols were there? Geometrical shapes, um, abstract kind of symbols. Um, and, and, you know, one wondered with some of this. One of, the, one of the military witnesses to the Rendlesham Forest case said that he saw strange symbols on the side of the craft that he said were a little bit like Egyptian hieroglyphs. The Ministry of Defence, they've, they've axed their UFO project, haven't they? At the end of 2009, yes. yes. Publicly, anyway, I think I have what I should probably characterise as, as 
strong indications from a number of reliable sources that the Ministry of Defence is not entirely out of the game and that these things are still being looked at. Uh, but probably to get around creating a freedom of information liability, certainly not with the, the phrase UFO being used, probably not even anymore with the phrase UAP being used, uh, probably being looked at maybe in parallel with certain flight safety incidents like near misses reported between two aircraft. You could hide you could embed UFO research in that sort of work, but there may be other places to embed it too, particularly within intelligence, military intelligence, and or looking at, I guess, next generation aerospace technologies, which is why the US name, ATIP, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, was so clever. There was nothing to indicate in that title that it was anything other than Russia or China. Right. Is it, and, and so... Did- when you left, was that because, was there any specific reason why you why you left the MOD because they axed that project or no? I I had uh, been promoted out of that job right. in 1994 anyway. So I went on I went on to do a financial policy job. Then I got promoted again, and my my last few years were spent in in uh, security. And I thought, having just done defence security in that post 9/11 post-Gulf War environment, um, and, and having earlier done the UFO job, I just thought to myself, you know what? It's not going to get better than that. If I don't leave now, I'm going to be here for another 20 years. I, I think it's time to move on and seek some fresh challenges. And so I left, and I, I got into doing a number of things. I mean, basically, I work now as a journalist and broadcaster, but the one of the things that I really do, which is fun, which I really enjoy, is I do consultancy work for film and TV companies. I mean, obviously, I don't have to tell you how many Hollywood movies and TV series there are about UFOs and aliens out there. And I'm in the position now where I get brought in as as a consultant to to maybe sit down and help with the question, well, oh, nice. you know, how much of this is real? And if we wanted to inject a bit of realism in, into this in terms of how the government and the military would respond, how do we do it? And then when you've done that, can you be our spokesperson for, or one of the spokespeople for the movie and go out and do some tie-in interviews? Again, people always want to know, well, this is sci-fi, but could any of this be true? Can you drop a few names? Can you drop a few movie names? Sure. I, I'm Sure, sure. I, I've... I've been involved in various capacities in in the remake of War of the Worlds, the the remake of the Day the Earth Stood Still, the X Files, of course, Torchwood, Fringe, yeah, uh, Battle Los Angeles, quite quite a quite a lot. More more recently, I, I think one of the last ones I did was the Fox TV adaptation of. War of the Worlds. Before then, I'd done the Tom Cruise version um, back back a few years ago. I, so I very much enjoy that, and it's that's the sort of thing that I do nowadays, as well as doing some some freelance journalism. I had a big big feature written 
uh, on Boxing Day, I think it was about the 40th anniversary of the Rendlesham Forest case. So, so it's very different from my Ministry of Defence work, but it's, it's equally interesting and fun. So for you to be advising on some of these movies involving extraterrestrials, you must, you must, you must have a pretty good idea about what you think's out there as far as um, what, what is the reality of, of extraterrestrials. Well, I'm certainly not claiming to have knowledge of a spaceship in an Air Force hangar somewhere. <laughs> but but I think that I think that anyone, whether it's myself, whether it's people in other nations who've done this, and I've met and had discussions with, for example, my opposite numbers in, in France, in Italy, in a number of other places. I don't think any of us who've looked at this from the inside kind of while we don't have the answers, I think we may may well have an idea of the sort of ballpark that we're in, the, yeah. the sorts of issues that would would come up. And I think that means that that when I do get involved in a movie or a TV show, I do hopefully bring some some realism. But mm. but look, these aren't documentaries. I mean, I do documentaries too. But I mean, ultimately, the whole point about Hollywood is Hollywood tells a story. Thank you so much for joining me, Nick. And um, yeah, it's been very insightful. And um yeah, you can get your books all on Amazon at the moment as well. If you want to, if you're listening to this and you want to do a bit, a bit of a deeper dive, um, go and have a look on Amazon. There's lots of great books from uh, from Nick on there, and um, make sure you leave a leave us a review on iTunes or, or wherever you get in your podcasts. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.